We're jumping back into our discussion of heresy, a topic that can generate such energy as opposing parties defend what they believe to be right. Here's George. We're now into chapter 19, heresy continued, and we've just heard Jesus' prayer from John 17 about our unity, and we've begun to reflect, I hope seriously, on what Jesus desires from us in the church broadly and what we have done instead. And so what I want to do in looking at heresy now a little further is to talk about how we wrestle about doctrine. Because the truth is, and we all should admit this, we have done it badly. We have treated each other miserably. Even as we've wrestled about doctrine, even where the doctrine that we were wrestling about was important, we nevertheless have treated each other sinfully. And I should confess this. The very challenge of discussing heresy, ancient or modern, it makes my head hurt. The debates that rage are often so rancorous and bitter, I don't even want to read the stuff, even from people that I agree with. And hence, I want to warn you in advance that while we continue to review heresy, heresies, and heretics, there will be at the end a quite severe critique of all of this. Not self-important, I hope, but what I believe is a necessary and overdue upbraiding of the church's doctrines and the cost of those doctrines, regardless of whether they are right or wrong. More on that later. I believe we do need to be serious in understanding what the Lord wants us to know about Him and what isn't true about Him. Right doctrine is important, but it never trumps love. There will be points at which we will disagree. So long as we abide by the two commandments that Jesus has declared supreme and on which our doctrine should hang, we can keep on talking to each other and loving each other. Jesus said this in Matthew 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Even if we have got our doctrine right, if we apply it in a way that violates these two commandments, we've got it wrong. This is a very hard thing for us to remember. Because in the church, people disagree, just as with politics, sports, families, and life in general. Then they get angry and bitter and quickly dash to the violation of those two foundational commandments Jesus gave. And when someone complains that the debate has become rancorous and mean, the charges laid that the peacemakers value being nice over being in accord with God's will, that they stick their heads in the sand or are afraid to name aloud what is seriously wrong. Those who do not approve a vicious attack are themselves attacked, accused of being wimps or quislings or traitors, apparently in the hope of silencing them or justifying the hateful attacker's words and methods. My desire 
is that as we face the serious issues in the church, we approach them consistently with Jesus' two commands. Otherwise, it doesn't matter if we are right about where we stand, because we are unholy at the roots. One of the worst manifestations of mean-spirited attack is the accusation that another person's belief is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy means slander, contemptuous speech, verbal attack. This expression is used as an intentional weapon, like the accusation of heresy, to condemn a point of view and to frighten others away from it. And again, I am not suggesting all points of view are equally valid. In fact, I believe some are profoundly mistaken, even dangerous. My objection here is to loveless, sarcastic, personal attack and the hyperbole, the exaggeration often used against opponents, raising emotions to a fever pitch. This behavior is not of Christ. The reason this accusation is particularly egregious is that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the one sin Jesus calls unforgivable, which is why accusers use it. To accuse an opponent of an opinion or belief that is unforgivable and a blasphemy against God however thrilling it might be to make such a charge, is to ignore Jesus' clear direction on how we are to treat each other. More, biblical scholars are not agreed on what the expression blasphemy against the Holy Spirit actually means. So wielding such an accusation freely against one's opponents is the height of presumption. I have heard this claim made so many times about so many points of dispute in the Christian faith, I think it is scandalous and reprehensible. We should avoid it with extraordinary care. In Epistle 185, I've previously mentioned from St. Augustine, he addresses there the question of what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit really is. Here's what he says in paragraph 49. But this is the hardness of heart, even to the end of this life, which leads a man to refuse to accept remission of his sins in the unity of the body of Christ, to which life is given by the Holy Ghost. I think he, St. Augustine, is probably more right than any of the people I have heard claim that those who disagree with them have committed this unforgivable sin. I revisit this here again as a reminder that the fundamental issue of heresy is not wrong doctrine, but causing division in the body of Christ. This can be done with wrong doctrine, but it can also be done with right doctrine and wrong attitude. That said, let's look at a few more heresies divisions that have risen in the church throughout history and that we often still face today, then we'll consider that serious critique of all of this. The first I want to address is Mormonism. 
My best friend when I was growing up was a Mormon. If you know anything about the Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, then you know that this is a church with extraordinary focus on the family. They set aside each Thursday as family night just to have the family together. They don't do anything else. They don't go out skating or playing hockey or to the movies. They spend the time with the family. This is hugely reminiscent of Shabbat, the Sabbath, the setting aside by Jews of one day a week to rest and do no work from the fourth commandment. Shabbat begins on Friday evening at dusk with the family gathered for a meal, prayers and blessings, and time together. In theory, Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. But in practice, most of us no longer set aside the entire day for rest and a time with God and family. We may attend church, but then for most Christians, it's back to the daily routine of our lives. I find it telling that we vocally affirm the Ten Commandments, even fight for the right to post them in public places, and yet so easily ignore this inconvenient one, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. But back to the Mormon family night. This is a wonderful idea. We adopted the concept of it in my family as soon as we heard about it. The focus on family is surely one of those things that attracts people to Mormonism. Then what is it about Mormonism that is heterodoxy or wrong doctrine? It clearly self-identifies as Christian, and Mormons actively promote Christian values in the public square. So what's the problem? Simply this. Mormon doctrine says that God, the God of this earth, the one we worship, was once a man on a previous earth, not this planet, but another one elsewhere in space. Because he lived an obedient life, the reward for his obedience was that he earned a planet to populate and be God. We are literally his offspring. You too, if you are male, can become God of your own planet. To do so, you must have many children, be successful in business, and obey all of the commandments, 633 from the Old and New Testaments. If you're keeping track, rabbinic Jews count 613. Now, there is much more to basic Mormonism, from the source of the Book of Mormonism to baptizing one's ancestors, that is seriously problematic both in doctrine and in the separation from other Christians caused by those doctrines. But these two issues should be sufficient to understand why Mormonism is considered both heterodoxy and heresy. Next time when we come back together, we will look at those folks who knock on your door regularly, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and we'll look and understand what it is about their beliefs which are both heterodox and heretical heresy that cause division in the body of Christ. Thank you, George. Putting the wraps on episode 25 with this reminder, previous episodes are available on the website. The material builds on itself, and as we go forward, we don't want you to be left out in any of the concepts that we're wrestling with here. Join us next time for another edition of What We Believe and Why. Why?